Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, based on wherever you are across the globe. Scott Luton, Greg White with you right here on Supply Chain Now. Good morning, Gregory White. How you doing? Uh, good morning. And it is, in fact, morning here in Kansas City, Mid-America. Yes. Yeah, doing good. How and about it's you? beautiful How out there. Doing 70 it degrees, wonderful. two days in a row in November. You're wearing shorts to football games in Kansas City, Greg. What? That's crazy. Not quite, but yeah. It was a little breezy, as it can be in Kansas, so shorts were not part of the wardrobe. I brought them, but I didn't have the guts to wear <laughs> Well, folks, welcome to the Supply Chain Buzz, where we're going to be tackling some of the leading stories across the world of global business. I want to hear from you, too. So hopefully you packed your POV today. Greg does not leave the house without your POV. Is that right? Got it right here over my shoulder. <laughs> okay. All right. So buckle up and get ready because uh, we want to hear from you as we walk through these stories here today. Hey, uh, Greg, before we get into uh, the goods here today, let's share mm. a couple of thoughts about our friends at Azul Arc. How's that sound? Yeah. Well, I mean, we've been talking about these folks for a couple of weeks now. And, uh, you know, it's funny when, you, when you're trying to redo something visually or uh, aesthetically or whatever with your identity, it's a real struggle. I think we've all been through it a few times. If you've had a business, you know how hard it is to find that kind of right mark and finding a talented group of people that get you. I think that's probably the most basic term you can use uh, is really tough and important. Um, but I think we did, I think we did pretty good. What do you think, Scott? I think we did wonderful. I'll tell you what. And uh, today's show is produced in partnership with our friends at Azul Arc, who as Greg is alluding to, built our stunning new website, supplychainnow.com. Y'all check that out. Uh, as we talked about, Greg, here, I love the the really practical search uh, button. You can look through our library of roughly a 1,000 episodes. Uh, Azulark is a leader in user experience design and development of not just websites like ours, but also, Greg, custom software applications within the supply chain industry. You can learn more at azulark.com. Dot com And big thanks to Zaheer and the top-notch team over there at Azlark. Right there. He's pictured right there in the middle, Greg. Uh, right there in the middle. Yeah, you can't miss him. He's the tallest person in the company. I think there was somebody taller, but he had to let him go because they were taller. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and he's, you know, he is in the same space we are, right, at, at King Plow, at the King Plow Center. So conveniently located. But uh, that's a really artistic part of town, isn't it? I mean, there are a couple of companies that that are uh, kind of upskilling a lot of the tech in Atlanta. So maybe we landed in like the center of the tech universe in Atlanta. <laughs> the center of, of uh, supply chain city and more. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, well, well, y'all check out Azul Arc, uh, dynamic, uh, heavy hitting, well-recognized team. And you can learn more again at azulark.com. We also got some big news coming up. Uh, tell you, it might be end of the year, and and folks may be tired of registering for webinars. 
But man, they are coming out in droves. We've got close to 800 people, I, I believe, registered for this session next week, Greg, where we're partnering with uh, our friends at Coupa, Dr. Madhav Durba, and of course, the one and only Laura Ciceri. And we're going to be talking, Greg, about the supply chain of 2022 and beyond, focusing yeah. on building real resiliency, anti-fragility maybe, and agility into the operation. What's your take there? But yeah, I mean, it's you're going to get the facts, right, from Dr. Durba and, of course, from Laura about what companies should be doing and what they are doing. And despite a lot of the discussions that we have and that Laura and other analysts have, it looks like a lot of companies aren't really converting on truly transforming their resiliency. So there's great opportunity here. And it's funny, Scott, we keep talking about webinar fatigue. But the numbers in our webinars just keep going up six, seven, eight hundred people registering for these things. So I'm going to say, Scott Luton, you must be doing something right. <laughs> well, it takes a village for sure. It takes great content, great partners. And uh, and you know what? The best part of these webinars beyond a great guest, the Q&A at the end. Uh, you know, we usually carve out 15 minutes or so for Q&A. And that's my favorite part. So y'all join us November 9th at 12 noon. It's free, free to join. Uh, so check out that on the 9th and also November 18th, Greg, we just wrapped up a, um, a podcast with, uh, Bob here and Greg, both with Manhattan associates. Yeah. And we had such a great time. We're like, you know what, what else? Let's, <laughs> Let's do a do webinar. It <laughs> so it um, was good. I mean, it, it was great. It was great topics. Um, of course they're right in the middle of it. And of course, PMS seems to be in the middle of everything, right? There is, there's so much going on with connectivity between enterprises. Everybody wants to know, where's my stuff, um, right? And so that's been a huge topic. And of course, I mean, I think we talked about this in the show. I know we've talked about it with Greg and Bob, but Manhattan has been doing TMS when TM, before TMS was cool. Right. Right. <laughs> so uh, back in the 1900s. Real expert. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. uh, we'll join us. The turn of the century. That's right. Yeah. Join us November 18th, 12 noon Eastern time. Also, hey, free to join, free to, you know, engage. Uh, bring your POV. Want to hear from you as well. Okay, Greg, we're going to do something fun here uh, on the front end, right? Um, we love this supply chain chow uh, kind of sub-community we've created on Facebook. So many folks right. love food. Mohib in supply chain. Uh, just kidding. We're going to say love to a few folks in just a second. We're going to share some of our uh, – some of the um, the wonderful food pictures that we've been getting in supply chain chow. So stay tuned for that, folks. But first, let's say hello to a few folks. So Peter Bollet was with us at least for a couple minutes uh, this morning. He says, all the best seems like the same clothing. Laundry day on the horizon, perhaps. I wash it every week. It's just this is my go-to cool weather vest. Right. Hey, you know I've what? i got more. I'll change. I'll change. Let's do a let's do a camera swap real quick, and I'll change into my Chiefs uh, windbreaker. <laughs> Love it, and hey, Peter, uh, come on, you got to give me a little little leeway. There. Yeah, Atlanta just won the it's World only Series. Been a week. <laughs> it's right. It's it, only been a week. It's only been a week, and it goes. You know, it's easy, uh, easy to get on and off. It's one of my favorite uh, go to jackets. So hey, bear with us. Great to have you here as always, Peter. Hey, it reminds me. 
that feedback is a blessing as always. Isn't that Greg? Procurement and fashion consultant, Peter Bollet. Thank you. <laughs> That's right. Ramon is back with us. Hello, supply chain. I'm excited to learn new things every Monday morning from this group. Well, hey, we want to learn from you. So, so let us know what yeah. your take is on these articles that we're going to be sharing here today. These stories. Mohib is back. It's supposed to be good noon, but we've moved back to nighttime saving, daylight uh, saving this weekend. You're right, Mohib. So it used to be, uh, um, I guess, 12 noon Eastern time now, but in the past, I guess he's saying. As no, it would be 1 p.m. Would have been 1 p.m. Why? Right? That's right. See, yeah. I'm, I'm confused. The one hour just, just blows my, my mind. So, Mohib, great to have Scott, you. Scott, imagine, okay, it feels a little bit like time travel when you go to a different time zone and then they change the clock, right? Because you actually get there before you leave and it's confusing. I don't know how you made the kickoff, Greg, but you did. And the Kansas City Chiefs won. It makes it even better. Uh, yes, sir. David is back with us. David, hope this finds you well via LinkedIn. Great to see you here today. Uh, let's see. Sylvia, you mentioned her. Sylvia is with hey. us. Greetings from a sunny Charleston. Greg, uh, any got any jam lately? I haven't got any jam, but Sylvia, you'll be glad to know that very soon we will be very close to being neighbors. So, How about that? More to come. More to come. In fact, yes. his j- more later. Yes, right. His jacket, which has nothing to do with the geographic uh, location might just be a clue, Sylvia. Oh, very good, Scott. Uh, we try. We try. Very good. Eric, hello uh, via LinkedIn. He says, of course, it's the center of the supply chain universe for technology. I'm here. He must be in Atlanta, Greg. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Let's see. <laughs> I'm going to track him right now. Right. Bob, Bob's got our back. He says, Peter Bollet has the same <laughs> yellow shirt in every photo I see of him. Wow, that's funny, man. I bet he changes his. I bet he changes his profile pic today. That's right. <laughs> good, good catch, Bob. <laughs> good catch, Bob. And Jonathan Washlager, uh, if I said that right, I apologize. I if think you that's didn't. pretty close. Hopefully, yeah. uh, good afternoon. Tuned in via LinkedIn. Great to see you here today. Okay, speaking, Greg, of Bob Bova and Peter Bole, they may, mm. they may just be part of our food run rundown. I can share this. There we go. So again, folks, we created the Supply Chain Chow Facebook group uh, a few months back after a, a lot of food dominated a lot of our internal and external discussions. We have mm. all have a lot of passion for it. So we'd love for you to join. It's a public group. Anybody and everybody's welcome. And it's really just to share your culinary experiences, whether you like to cook, whether you like to go out and eat, or whether you, uh, you, you name it. Uh, love, we love pictures like this one here, Greg. This is Bob Bova, who made this Italian-style, authentic Italian-style dinner because his son wanted homemade for his birthday. Made three rounds. Holy cow, Greg. How about that? Well, that's beautiful, frankly. though You can tell those are homemade meatballs. I'm just wondering, Scott, where was our invite? <laughs> Seriously. Bob, where was our three invite? Three rounds. I mean, I could see, I could see not being in, invited to the first or maybe even the second round, but third round? Come on, man. <laughs> Look how. No, I hope your son had a great birthday. Oh, uh, by the looks of it, he had a wonderful birthday. Look at the character in that in that yeah. uh, tomato sauce. That that yeah, you can just tell gravy. Come uh, and he says, uh, "Come to SoCal." Okay, we're headed your way, Bob. We're going to be there soon. Yep, and we got to connect with our dear friend Jose. Light, Scott. <laughs> okay, we got to uh, catch up with our friend Jose, who's also in Southern California. Great to see you there, Jose. 
And David, going back to our comment or Bob's comment about Peter uh, changing his shirt, David says that's a solid bet. He meaning he's going to change that group, <laughs> that shirt. Okay, let's keep driving here. Uh, we've got a picture from Ale. It's been a little while since Ale joined us for live stream, but she sent wow. this picture of garlic chicken. Look at the crust on that thing, huh? That looks good, delicious. And then yeah. Peter Bole. You know, Thanksgiving in Canada was uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, so it looks like oh. he was doing the uh, the the bird for the uh, the feast. And look in the upper left-hand corner of that pan. Uh, looks like they saved the neck for Cousin Eddie. <laughs> hey, it's right, that, for, for the gravy. Right. It is not, folks, uh, as the meme says, uh, you don't you can't trust folks that can't quote daily uh, national uh, lampoons uh, Christmas vacation this time of year. You can't trust people that don't know that movie. Greg, you pause, but I know you mo- know that movie backwards and forwards, don't you? Yeah, well, they made yeah, well, yes, vacation. I know very well because they made pretty good fun of Kansas on that. Oh, did they? My dad says I'm the best kisser. <laughs> okay, that's. It's a quote you don't want to hear. That's right. From my part of the country. Folks, check out uh check out Christmas Vacation. Get back to us. Uh all right. Finally, this is so a lot of folks may not know that Amanda here on our team, who and big thanks to Allie, Jada, and Amanda behind the scenes helping to make production happen today. Amanda is like a world class chef. Uh she's not a chef by like uh degree or anything, but man, she is a wonderful cook. And uh, she, from time to time, will post these live stream lunches. She whips this up, Greg, in like three minutes. It would take me all day. Is that day. cubed mozzarella on top? Obviously, yeah. balsamic vinegar on top. That looks fantastic. Doesn't it, though? And basil vinaigrette with a balsamic reduction. Okay. Man. Wow. Awesome. How was it, Scott? I mean, I, I know what you're going to say, but <laughs> I'll be able to tell by your look on your face. <laughs> it was delicious. All, everything. I'm sure. It looks spectacular. Yeah, no kidding. It's picture worthy. Well, hey, but folks, just like Jennifer, and hello, Jennifer. Great to see you here today. I look forward to talking barbecue with you soon. She just joined the Supply Chain Chow Group on Facebook. Uh, We'd welcome, you know, we have a big harvest table. Everybody's welcome. And we love, you know, uh, if, as Ale is from, I think, Sudan, uh, Greg, we want it to be a global conversation. Global food, global culinary experiences, come one, come all. Yeah. Yes, David. We they we were on a flight to Kansas City. They were trying to get four people to give up their seats, <laughs> and the one of the um, people working the gate was from Jamaica, and she said, "You could be on a nice beach eating <laughs> jerk chicken from Scotchies, which is in Montego Bay." Nobody took her up on it. Although I have to tell you, I've eaten at Scotchies. I was very tempted. <laughs> Sounds great. Let's make that to be the next. If there trip. hadn't been a Chiefs game that weekend, I probably if you had just been seeing family or something. I might take her. Well, as David says, yes, we're all right. now getting hungry. So thanks. Yeah. Well, it's lunch hour for everybody else. It'd be it would be uncouth, I think, for us to eat a sandwich while we're doing this, wouldn't it? Right. It definitely. Definitely. <laughs> um all right, so folks, that was Supply Chain Chow. Y'all keep the recipes and the pictures and the restaurants coming there, and everybody are, is welcome to join us. Um, all right, so we, we mentioned there's one other comment I was going to mention, and it escapes me right now, so that means we're going to have to get to work, Greg. You ready? All right, let's do it. Yeah. All right. So Some interesting stuff happening. Yeah, a lot of interesting stuff. You're absolutely right. So I want to start with this report from Supply Chain Dive. 
energy shortages in China may well lead to a lack of supply of critical aluminum alloys that go into a wide variety of items, auto parts, Coke cans, furniture, you name it. So, Greg, did you yeah. know that China produces about 80% of the world's magnesium supply? Now, I was not good in chemistry class, so I had to, had to, had to uh, study extra hard in this article. But magnesium is critical to producing aluminum alloys that industry, again, uses all around the world. Now, Sarah right. Zimmerman is uh, the assistant editor at Supply Chain Dive who put this story together. As she says, China has effectively captured cornered the market for years, making most of the world dependent on its production. So in this case, the Chinese government is attempting to mitigate its energy crisis as well as meet carbon emission goals, which is all that is hampering these Chinese smelters, factories that make this uh, magnesium, from running at normal capacity. So, Greg, what's your take here? Fascinating timing right during COP26, right? The, uh, the global climate summit and, uh, you know, to which China gets a, a healthy exemption for pollution and, and greenhouse gases. Interesting that the, t- the timing of, of this during that when they are undou- unquestionably vying for another or greater exemption from that um, that aren't that aren't afforded to more ethical countries around the world. So right. um, I don't think it's any coincidence, frankly, but it is a, it is a problem. Uh, you know, remember m- most of rare earth minerals also come from China. Right. Um, and rare earth minerals are critical to semiconductors. So they're wielding their power over global commerce unquestionably. Agreed. As Bob Bova points out, China manipulating the market again for profit. <laughs> that never happens. Right. <laughs> Okay, so, now you're invited to my house for right. lunch. <laughs> uh, and by the way, hello, Stacy. Great to see you. Gene Pledger's with us. Gene, you had a great restaurant visit in Chicago last week. Hey, shoot us that picture. I think you got you gathered one. If you can shoot that to Amanda at supplychainow.com, I'd love to feature that on an upcoming episode. Okay, so Greg, we'll, we're going to keep our finger on the pulse of what goes on here with these magnesium shortages uh, I'm, I'm hoping we can, it's not one more toilet paper incident, right? We'll see. Uh, we shall see. All right, let's move forward. Well, it will unquestionably lead to inflation, further inflation, further non-transitory inflation for a while anyway, until they get their way. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. I want to move right along to our next story, which is about labor. So labor organizers, Greg, aren't done yet trying to form a union at an Amazon warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama. Gene Pledger, let us know. I should have looked this up, but let us know where Bessemer, Alabama is. But regardless, the big A is taking no chances, right? As Reuters reports here, Amazon defeated a unionization effort at this Alabama plant earlier this year. But Greg, an official with the U.S. National Labor Relations Board said in August that Amazon's conduct, as they tried to fight that effort back, interfered with the election. So a decision is expected soon on whether or not to order a second election. Amazon, Hmm. regardless of that decision, they're getting out ahead of it, and and not just locally at this plant, but probably, as we all see, some of the Amazon commercials um, through our weekend programming. Now, finally, Greg, I'm going to get your take here. I can't wait for it. Wilma Liebman, which this article quoted, she's a former NLRB chair, says, quote, there's nothing like a union win. 
And a win can be contagious, which is what the big A fears for sure. Yep. Greg, your take. Yeah, unquestionably they fear that. Uh, let me tell you that, remember, I'm in Kansas City, so I'm going to be very careful about how I talk about the virtues of labor because I don't want some labor leader to help me disappear later today. So, um, labor, you know, um, I, I get why in this day and age, organization or people want to organize, but frankly, they don't need, they don't need unions to do so. And, and Amazon, of course, they've made their way. I mean, as much as they can in commerce, uh, based on keeping prices low and remember Amazon is not profitable. They continue to take risk to be in the e-commerce game and unions want to mandate a, a rate that will assure their lack of profitability for decades to come. So yeah, of course they're going, going to like many companies have in the past fight, fight this. I don't know how else to say it, right? Fight uh, this initiative because it is, it's um, viral, right? If it happens in one facility, it tends to happen in others. And, and also the fact that it's happening in a right to work state, is um, you know would be particularly distasteful for any organization that that doesn't want unions because they probably left another state so they wouldn't have to have this battle. Right. So you can ha you can have your discussion over the virtues or uh, uh, or issues with with labor. I just won't be joining it today until my flight takes off from Kansas City. Okay. <laughs> well, like Wilma says, it is contagious and undoubtedly. Uh, I can't remember the, some of the groups that had, had vowed to, to get behind this latest effort. Uh, but, you know, uh, the building blocks, right? You, you build on, if they were able to uh, unionize the Bessemer facility, of course, their eyes are on the greater prize. And, you know, uh, I, I know I don't want to put you on the spot. And uh, there are. Uh, no, it's okay. They don't know where I'm staying. <laughs> there are very uh, smart, educated, and passionate people on all sides of this. But we've seen no shortage of uh, safety uh, safety reports and and other complaints made across the Amazon footprint. And, uh, you know, you want to take care of people regardless. So um, we'll see how this plays out here. And, you know, if the NLRB does weigh in, that vote's going to happen regardless. Yeah. Amazon's just trying to get ahead of the game here, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, first of all, I mean, despite all the hijinks from unions over the past and recent history, um, I mean, if Amazon is – is interfering in the election. Of course, that's not the right thing to do. Right. But now they're at least taking the opportunity outside of the framework of the election to try to, and it sounds like from the article, try pretty strongly and aggressively to influence the election. It's campaigning just right. like anything else, right? Yep. Well said there, Greg. Um, all right. So we're going to give it a pause. We got a couple comments going back to the first story. And uh, I'd love to share those here. Sylvia says, hey, let's go back to glass bottles. We got plenty of sand. You know, you know, do you remember the days when we were kids when you would collect glass bottles and go get a nickel or whatever for them? Well, see, that's why is that not viable? I don't know. That's what I can't figure out. That is the ultimate circular economy, in my opinion. I'd love if there's an expert out there to be able to tell us why that's not viable, because I, I completely agree with that. We were just talking about that the other day. Well, you know, so to your to uh, one of the points you're making, you know, we may or may not go through an adult beverage uh, wine bottle on a weekly basis, perhaps not name any names, but you know, we used to recycle be, be able to recycle all that. Now we know right. that China changed its policies um, roughly two or three years ago, 
And that must be, uh, you know, that uh, must have really impacted the uh, likelihood and the um, the profitability of recycling glass. Because as you'd like to say, you got to follow the money. But I would love right. for an expert, especially someone that, you know, that knows chemistry a lot better than I do, that can explain why we can't recycle glass like we should, like we used to, uh, were able to. Well, in the very old days, Scott, probably even pre-you, they used to, you used to just take the bottles, put them back in the wood case they came in, and a Coca-Cola driver or Pepsi driver would come up and pick them up and take them back to the plant. They'd wash them and re, you know, make sure they were right. still viable and actually reuse them. Yep. There was no, other than dishwashing soap, there was no chemical involved. There was no reconstitution, right? No crushing, no reconstitution, none of that stuff. So I, I'm curious why, and you know, again, well before my time, and I haven't, I uh, haven't done any kind of historical analysis of the economics of it. But I wonder what the money told us back then. Yes, right. I'm with that you. made us stop doing that. I, I think it's fascinating. Uh, I, I remember Doctor. I watched a documentary on Doctor Pepper that drink, uh, and the recycling of those bottles actually factored into how the company evolved. I want to. I want to say there was some disagreement between company leadership that 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 uh, made the company branch off or something. But anyway, Greg, that is. Circularity. Let's see. Let's see why that can't happen anymore. Um, all right. I want to share. I this. think also. I think there's a there's a consumer benefit there too, Scott. And that is that I will, to my dying day, tell you that Coca Cola, really probably any soda in a cold glass bottle, tastes better than plastic or aluminum. The bottle helps kind of keep it cold, so you don't need ice, so it doesn't get watered down. There are some consumer experience or customer experience benefits there as well. I'm with you, hundred percent. And it's a lot easier to put peanuts in a glass bottle of Coca Cola. I forget. Yeah, they do that in the South. Yeah, or sometimes. did right? Um, yeah. All right, Mohib. Going back to our discussion a second ago about uh, Chinese magnesium production, Mohib says power cuts will also diminish carbon emission from heavily dependent coal-fired power generators that's a good point uh mohib mohib you're from bangladesh you know that's not the reason they're doing <laughs> we're gonna have to have mohib on for um a real yeah, table. i mean it, there's no doubt that is a factual and a correct statement but that's not at all why china, china doesn't give a tinker's damn about pollution so <laughs> so gene uh johnny on the spot when it comes to letting us know where bessemer is it is a suburb on the western side of birmingham yeah Birmingham's right. a really cool town. You've been there lately, uh, Greg? No, uh, probably not since, oh my gosh, Scott, probably not since our first episode together, which was now what, two or three years ago? Was it that? It had to be. It was forever ago because that was probably around episode number 80-ish. Okay. Uh, and, and what Greg's talking about, he's talking about the University of Alabama at Birmingham, where we made a trip right. in and, and interviewed um, and had some great Mediterranean food. That's right. You recall that? In Birmingham. Right? That's right. Global yeah. city. Fantastic. Baba Ganoush right there. Yeah. Uh, Shashi, hello. Great to see you here today via LinkedIn. Uh, so glad you're back with us. Sylvia says, supply chain now. Now that is sad. I use Homestead Creamery glass bottles, $2 deposit. And for Grandpa Fred, her Grandpa Fred, I, I guess, I save wine bottles for his amazing strawberry and muscatine, muscadine wine. How about that, Greg? Wow. Bob says. So she's practicing circularity right there. Well. In a way that probably all of us could, frankly. 
you know. Uh, so they still do recycle it for money in some states. Maybe so. Fascinated to understand the economics of why that isn't universal. So I've lived in several states where they did that. You used to do that in Illinois, in Michigan, I think even in Kansas we did that hmm. for a while. I'd be fascinated to hear yeah. the give economics us, behind it, right? Give us a scoop. And Bob says we recycle bottles, cans for money here all the time. Bob is in, in California. California. That's right. Eric says it's an insurance liability in Atlanta because it takes, I can't quite see us, what, a million years for a glass bottle like that. to dissolve. Okay. All right. Uh, Joe's a big fan of glass bottles. Great to see you here today, Joe, via LinkedIn. And Danny, happy Monday, everybody, via LinkedIn. Great to see you here today, Danny. Danny oh. looks like a guy who would prefer to drink out of a glass bottle, too, <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> okay. I mean... He prefers his Coke out of a glass bottle. I'm pretty sure of it. We'll find out. That's let's, right. Let's hear it in the comments. Danny, yeah, let us know. And not 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 a uh, silly twist off. We want something you've got to use a bottle opener on. Is that right, Greg? Yeah, absolutely. Bottle <laughs> opener, a metal ledge, your wedding <laughs> ring, if your wife will still allow that. All right. All right. So let's see here. Moving right along here on the supply chain buzz on supply chain. Now, welcome everybody. Appreciate everybody's comments thus far. And evidently you hit the nail on the head with Danny agreed. Uh, so you're, you're a quick assessment on folks, Greg, pretty impressive. Pure luck. Pure luck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is, uh, speaking of, uh, something that's really cool. This story got our attention. So CNBC is reporting that robo taxis in California are getting closer and closer to being a reality. So Cruise is a company backed by General Motors, and it's just mm -hmm. one permit away in the state of uh, California from ki from kicking off and standing up a fleet of robo taxis. It'll be the first company operating a fleet like that in at least California, if not the U.S if not maybe even North America, Greg, you mentioned they've got robo taxis in the Netherlands, right? Amsterdam. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it, it looks remarkably similar to this vehicle. So it may, it's not the same company, but it's kind of more bus like than more ride share kind of vehicle. Yep. Um, but yeah, anyway, it's, it's similar and it's interesting because, you know, we've been talking about this forever. Waymo, right. Wasn't that Google's thing? Right. Um, and there have been others in the States, obviously, as well. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Agreed. Agreed. Now, I San think Francisco it's... streets, man. If you can get a robo-taxi to, right, to navigate those narrow, overcrowded, or I presume still overcrowded streets, uh, that would have to have pretty good LIDAR or whatever the heck they're using these days for this thing, these things, so... What I would imagine, and one of the reasons I'm so excited about it, is the spillover effect. You know, this this could this could move the whole industry forward for all things autonomous driving. So we shall see. The day we get a robot to pick me up from my house here in Walton County and take us into the studio in Atlanta, and I can use that hour plus time for product uh, productive uh, pursuits. Greg, mm -hmm. talk about your life changers. You know, I, I thought it was a life changing event when the kids could get in the car and buckle their own seatbelt, which that was life changing. But uh, imagine, yeah. <laughs> imagine saving, life saving yeah. too. Yeah. That's right. Imagine getting an hour on both sides of your commute back and to do whatever you want to do other than drive. We well, you know people in, where there are lots of public 
transportation options, mostly trains because they can go straight through on an hour ride or two, right? They have been using that time effectively to work remotely for for decades, right? right? And and it would be nice in a place where, for instance, Atlanta where the or, or San Francisco, where the geography does not allow trains because there's so many steep hills and you know we're at the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains here and and San Francisco likewise you know um, with whatever mountain range it is there near or whatever it is that causes all that hilliness um, it it's tough in some geographic areas so you need alternate options right. so I love the idea I do too this will be interesting I'll see, uh, to see how quickly they get that final permit it, uh, that was one of six permits they had to get through this process from all from the state of California. So we're going to be watching wow. this one uh, closely. And as Danny says, sign me up. I'm with you, Danny. I'm with you. I'd love to get those couple hours back. Okay. And then one last thought here. I wonder how scalable, Greg, to your point, gosh, starting in San Francisco has got to be, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty bold and audacious there. I wonder once they get the permit here, how quickly they will look to, um, to stand up, you know, in NFL cities around the country. Well, particularly in California, it's about the economics because they know, even though they defeated whatever that thing was that was going to make Uber drivers employees, they know that that's not long for this world. Um, so again, this goes to economics. So they're going to try and eliminate the drivers by by accelerating robotics. And so the economics just make the most sense in California, I guess. And of course, the center of tech things uh, especially robotics is is around the valley, which is right near San Francisco. So it makes sense to do it there. I think it'll be interesting. You know, I've seen even models where once we have the roads completely robotized, we won't need things like turn signals and stop signs even or stop lights because the vehicles can actually time themselves, the distance between themselves to assure that there's no conflict even with a left turn or something like that. It, it's amazing to watch some of the models that come to be in that case and it will help reduce congestion once we get to the kind of ultimate um, level of performance of these things i love it i love it um hopefully the robots are better drivers than cousin eddie but we we shall see <laughs> we'll see greg all right and as well uh, you know they they should be able to drive in the rain which should resonate with some folks. No we kidding. Know, Scott. It's impossible here in Georgia to drive in the rain, evidently. But hey, all in good fun. Picking on drivers, all in good fun. Eric says Tesla is still planning on waking up all their cars and making them a hundred percent ride share while you're at work. Oh, that's pretty cool, huh? Reminds me of a Silicon Valley episode where um, they hack one of the one of the other founders' cars and have it go get a car wash and and power up somewhere else and then come back. I love it, man. This is a, this is a uh, brave new world we're moving into. Jose says Indeed. the ground is congested already. Aerial is cheaper. Autonomous transportation is what I would like to see for short distances. Well, you're going to get your wish evidently Jose. And Hey, if you yeah. for, for Jose or Bob or anyone else that's uh, tuned in here, uh, this space in California, once they get the permit, I'd love to see, some video footage of y'all getting into these taxis and going places. That's something we'd love to share. That's right. Um, okay. So Greg, let's see what story we're, I, I get, I'm losing track of tiny to robot to keep me on the agenda today. Um, <laughs> so we're talking food today. 
Uh, that's, yeah. kind of, that's a big theme, th- food and robots perhaps. But um, our final story uh, comes to us from the Wall Street Journal, uh, Gregory. And it talks about food waste. You know, There's been a ton of entrepreneurial and investment interest in tackling this massive challenge. We're talking, Greg, right. 30 to 40% uh, on estimates, uh, government estimates of food here in the U.S. is thrown away, 30 to 40%. So enter problem, massive problem, nope. you know, enter investment, enter uh, entrepreneurialism, you name it, and a lot of corporate interest, especially as they continue to find ways to invest in ESG initiatives. So, Greg, for starters, before you comment here on this, uh, this Wall Street Journal article that talks about uh, renewed and heightened interest in this aspect of, of global business, do you remember our awesome discussion that we had with Gooder, right? Yeah, of course, Gooder and Jasmine Crow comes immediately to mind um, because that's, I think that is, because it that is not a nonprofit, that is a for-profit entity that helps other companies save money and feed people. Um, I think that's probably the most viable option is something that crosses that nonprofit line, but still does Gooder. Um, right. If you think you're doing good, do gooder. Um, so yeah, I think, um, that's, that's a great example of it is because one of the things that Jasmine talked about, and one of the things that I think people have recognized is it's not just about consumers. It's not just about the needy. It's not just about companies. It's also about health compliance. And we need the cooperation of governments because the reason that so much food goes to waste, how, how kind of the government to report on something that they cause the problem of, as usual. Um, the reason that so much so much food goes to waste is that it is actually illegal in a lot of cases, or at least, well, it is illegal and usually subject to substantial fines to move goods on once they've been opened. For instance, if you've ever seen this in a grocery store, if somebody ever opens a package of steak, that has if that doesn't go with that consumer out the door, that has to be thrown away. It cannot be have anything else done with it. So we have to have the, the um, holistic you know, cooperation yeah, of the health departments to figure out what makes sense or a way to make that make sense. And that was a, that was an issue that I recall Jasmine and others struggling with because that was one of the main hurdles for a lot of the companies that she wanted to have engaged in Gooder. That's a great memory. And if, if we can drop uh, Amanda and team, if we could drop that episode, you, you uh, Jasmine Crow is a phenom, uh, and she's gone even much bigger and gooder since she joined us for uh, yeah. a sit-down. So if we can drop that link. I think I saw she just got some more investment, if I recall correctly. I'll have to look that up. I think you're right. Um, Allie, uh, Greg, Allie says behind the scenes uh, that Crisp, which is a company we've had here on the yes. Buzz with us, also does work with retail analytics software for food suppliers to help solve food waste. That's a great call out uh, there, mm-hmm. Allie. Um, it's certainly going to take more than a village to get our hands and our uh, our arms around the problem that is food waste. I want to share. A I couple- sure do love the idea, man. I hope we can figure it out, right? Because it just makes so much sense. We have we have product that people don't want, and we have people in need yep. who would be happy to get it. I just think there's got to be a way to do it, right? Absolutely. Uh, Eric says, "Hey, what waste?" My mama always told me to clean my plate, even if you don't like it. But did you do it, Eric? Did you do it? So um, 
Ho, uh, Joe is in, and hello, Joe. Great to see you here. Says, can you resend the link for the supply chain in 2022 and beyond? So uh, Amanda, Jada, Ali, if we can drop that link in the comments, that's the, the webinar we've got tomorrow with Madov mm -hmm. and Laura. That'd be great. Now, uh, we have royalty. We have star power with us here today. Beyond all the folks we've already pointed out, Corinne Bursa, host of Tech Talk Digital Supply Chain Podcast, is with us. And she's speaking to a point Mohib said earlier. She says, I try to avoid plastic bottles, but when I do use them, I'll reuse at least three times. Small but important stamps, uh, steps. That's a good, good point, isn't it, Greg? Yeah, it is. And it makes me think about, yeah, that's, I mean, that's really good. Um, it makes me think about, I have my youngest daughter carries around, not a Yeti, but same kind of vacuum wall thing. She carries that around all the time and then finds, finds places to fill it. And I, it seems like we were um, talking about a vent. Oh, no, no, no. It was a charter fishing boat captain of all places near Charleston, as a matter three of fact. Three-hour tour. A three Who doesn't tour. allow plastic bottles on his boat. He, in, he encourages you to bring those kind of, your own metal uh, bottle, and, and he fills it. He keeps water in mass quantities to fill your, your water bottle. That's genius, isn't it? I mean, that directly affects his ability to fish in those small places. Right. And he can find some pretty good places from what I hear. I love um, it. And, but, he, I mean, he's making a really conscious effort to, you know, to contribute to reducing plastics in the environment. I like that. I like what Corinne and he are doing both. Yeah. Agreed. And as Michael Scott learned firsthand, whatever those boat captains say goes, right? <laughs> That's one of our favorite yeah. episodes. Um, yeah. That's, a, that's the uh, a reference to the office, folks, in case you are not a fan. Let's see here. Sylvia says, follow the French lead. Going back to the food here. Supermarkets get fined if they throw out food. Now, Greg, I would assume that's probably not uh, not one of your favorite ideas there, right? I don't. I mean, I don't disagree with that generally, but, oh, boy, that's a big leap for American government. I mean, we have exactly the opposite stance. Mm. We throw out perfectly good. I mean, we force groceries to throw out perfectly good food. So there has to be some way to get better. Agreed. Um, also, they don't have the greatest stakes. And, so, <laughs> not so this LinkedIn user, and let us know who that is, Amanda, Ali, Jada, local sweeps of retail stores to pick up food about to expire, or get thrown out and deliver it to local food banks. The needs now are big. Excellent point. And that's, so that's essentially gooder. Right. Yeah, that's essentially what Gooder does, right? That's yep. when they try to coordinate with uh, local chains and local stores. And believe it or not, local stores, small stores, have been easier than the chains. Yep. Because there's so much liability and, you know, the potential for E. coli or whatever, right, could impact somebody's health from those things. But Agreed. again, we can figure out ways to reconstitute those foods, I'm sure. Yep. And that's Amy Barnes. Thank you for joining us today, Amy. Uh, Jose says Europe supermarkets sell at a big discount, uh, food after a specific evening hour to mitigate the waste, the waste and improve revenue for stores. I like that idea. I like how you yeah. make that into the business model on the non-regulatory side, right? Uh, just for so having done business in, in the UK for quite a while, Tesco just runs out around noon and, and you you just there is no waste. <laughs> I love that. They used to be they used to be pretty awful about that. I don't know if they still are. But it used to be a joke around England to 
All right, going back to the robo taxis. Stacy says, "What better way to improve on the tweaks of a, a robo taxi than send them out?" Love the idea of getting an extra hour to prepare for a presentation. I'm with you, Stacy. That is, uh, and those look pretty comfortable, didn't they? Those are uh, Chevy Bolt vans of some sort, right? So it it looked like uh, to me. Throw this back up here. It looked like a um, yeah, kind of like a a den on wheels or a parlor on wheels. You know, it's like got plenty of room to stretch out, especially if you don't have a whole bunch of people yeah. in there with you. So, uh, yeah, who knows? We need, we, we could get a little card game in there touring the streets of, uh, streets of San Francisco, Greg, that'd be kind of neat, huh? That that's a great idea. Actually, that would be great promotion for it. Wouldn't it? Yes. Hey, let's make I mean, it- you, your own, your own self-guided tour or the robot could tell you on your left, you will see. Russian Hill. <laughs> I love it. Let's do it. Let's, let's go out to Cali- yeah. California and make that happen. Mohib says, conscious effort. Keywords Amen. of the day. That's a great point, Mohib. Uh, and Stacy's selling foods about to expire for less. Yes, she likes the idea that Jose mm-hmm. and others spoke about. Okay, Greg, uh, I'll tell you, we, we wrapped up a little bit early here today. Uh, so I'm going to give you a second. We're just efficient. We're Scott. right. <laughs> Highly highly efficient you're right um so if you if there's anything you want to mention here at the end i want to give you a chance to do that but uh i want to also uh mention to corinne if she's still with us you know she published a wonderful episode with one of the leading staff members for uh auburn university's vaunted supply chain management school and uh if we can amanda jada or ali if we can drop that link uh, in the chat, that would be great. Very down to earth, practical discussion, you know, and, and just, a, a really informative one, which you always get with, uh, Corinne's episodes. So we'll drop that in the link for folks. Uh, but Greg got a couple minutes here. Uh, and you've been traveling quite a bit, uh, talking with a bunch of, uh, entrepreneurs and investors and folks out there making yeah. it happen. What's been one intriguing recent takeaway if you think about any common themes from your travels uh, and almost it makes me think when i say that it makes me think of uh fraggle rock they had the uncle they always got postcards from on his travels (laughs) we'll have to have a greg white series like that but tell me what's uh what's been a common thread amongst your conversations here lately um wow I, i gotta tell you i think um probably the most common thing has been just how busy the airports are and how inverted the travel schedule has become and what a challenge that's been as we've seen in news for some of these airlines saturday and sunday are the biggest travel days of the week now whereas it used to be monday people leaving to go to wherever they were working away from home and friday people coming back from the same so Uh, It's been a really fascinating study. There are a lot of, I don't know what to call them other than amateur flyers, probably recreational flyers now instead of professional flyers. Um, I can tell you that in Atlanta, the, you know, uh, unquestionable aircraft cap or airline capital of the world, um, you don't wait nearly as long in line if you're a platinum medallion as you used to. I mean, you know, in when you were flying home to Atlanta, it didn't really matter what level of medallion you were because everyone flying back to Atlanta was a medallion, uh, frequent flyer level, right? Um, so it's been really interesting from that standpoint. Um, and I do see a lot of people flying 
still for recreation. People are staying away from work in droves. And I saw an interesting article over the weekend as to why that is. So somewhere in the neighborhood of around 3 million more people retired than they were expecting to retire since basically since COVID started. Um, so, you know, the workforce has actively receded kind of from the top or from the, the highest age group down. Um, and, and people have simply not got back to work, even though the federal unemployment assistance stopped in September. So imagine people save their pennies and are really carefully thinking about where they want to spend their career as they go forward. And now they have the opportunity to do so. So, um, and a lot of them are spending time traveling, seeing people or seeing places or whatever. So I guess that's probably the biggest thing, the biggest surprise I've had, because I expected to go to empty airports and, you know, be able to kind of sail through. And, um, you know, it's not, it's not always the case. Right. Uh, so th that's probably the most surprising thing that I've seen. It, you know, when you say since since you opened with travel, that's the first thing that comes to my mind is that the fact that there are so many people traveling. Though I may, in these last couple visits, may have seen it starting to tail off. Kids are back in school. People are, and I mean literally, in a lot of places, kids are actually in school now. Um, and and people are are maybe getting back to work or whatever. Right. Um, but the, the volume doesn't seem as high. And of course we know that the airlines have canceled thousands and thousands of flights. So right. there, there are more people or maybe even way fewer people, but on m many, many fewer flights. So it looks that much more crowded on the aircraft as well. But you, I mean, you know, we talked about it earlier in the show, they were suggesting people to give up their seats, which you would think only happens at max capacity in right in the airline industry. So interesting. It was a long answer to a short question, Scott, <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it has been a lot of observations, right? Awesome. I love that. Look forward to your future, uh, trips and travels. Let's see, Corinne, uh, Robert Glenn Ritchie, that was the professor's name, uh, heads the supply chain program at Auburn university's Harbert Harbert, maybe it might be French college Harbert, of yeah. business. So outstanding interview and Corinne appreciate what you do there on tech talk. Uh, we've dropped a link in the comments, Sarah. Sylvia, HH Greg stands for two cities, Hilton Head, or what's that first one? Hansestad, Hamburg. Okay. Or Hilton Head, yeah. Which one are you yeah, thinking of? Let be? me tell you, it's not in Germany. <laughs> That's right. Uh, let's see here. Eric. Hansestadt. <laughs> so Eric says, I would love an episode that explains the economics of a seaport. How does an owner-operator seaport work versus a landlord port? Who employs a longshoreman? How do terminals work in a landlord port? Eric, that's a great idea. In fact, we've got... Um, that is a great idea. We've got two shows in the works, both with East Coast ports, where we want to dive more into um, the port operations and some of those things you touch on. So we'll see if we can't make that happen before here the end of the year. You know, much like supply chain in general, ports certainly have, have a lot more, lot new, um, more fans more folks interested in, in the congestion and how they work and, and their role in global infrastructure and supply chain. And it really is fascinating, isn't it, Greg? Yeah, calling them fans is uh, generous. Probably more discerning evaluators, but I mean, truthfully, we asked for this publicity, didn't we? So we wanted this attention and we wanted this 
respect and we wanted this awareness. Well, we got it. So, um, yeah, we're, I mean, we, we've got some work to do, frankly. I, I did a post today, a summary of an, of an article and you and I talk about this frequently is we wanted the visibility. We wanted the awareness. We wanted the, as you've always said, seat at the table. Now that we've got the seat at the table, we have to really up our game. I mean, manual processes and best practices um, and, and, you know, the old ways that we've been able to get away with things because nobody noticed we were there. That's all coming to light now. And that will have to change really, really rapidly. Agreed. Um, Eric, speaking of, uh, we do have one of the two shows I mentioned has already been published. I was, I was just uh, shot a note, forgotten. And that is the leader of the Georgia Ports, uh, Georgia Port Authority. Of course, Savannah is rock and roll and has been growing for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe uh, one of our hosts sat down with the leader of the Georgia Ports Authority. I mean, if we can drop that in the show notes, Eric, that will address some of those questions. And uh, we've got another show in the works with a different port that uh, we will hopefully be producing that in the next few weeks. Uh, let's see here. Christopher Trailer. Great to have you back, Christopher. Salty Dog Lover. So the Salty Dog is a famous uh, restaurant in the Sea Pines Resort on, um, on Hilton Head. And it's a huge tourist trap, but with actually good food. I mean, seriously. Um, you know, T-shirts and hats and all, all kinds of this this funny lore story about uh, the sailor and his dog, and um, <laughs> but it's a fantastic place. It's on kind of a marsh port, and right. uh, the food is actually really good. I've never it has never disappointed in the time that I've been there. And you know, when you go to resort places and you go to um, some of these really common tourist places, right. they're not really that good. They're really fast or in great volume, but the salty dog is actually really good. I'm really looking forward to having an occasional meal there. Love it. And, uh, see, David wants to know more about ports as well. It'd be very interesting. I'm with you, David. Sylvia says, Hey, we got to invite Barbara Melvin of the South Carolina ports authority to a show. That's a great idea. You help us with that, Sylvia. Yeah. Let's do that. Happy. Would yeah. love to, uh, the Port of Charleston has been doing really big things in recent years as it has continued to grow. You know, a lot of the hubbub around the port deepening here in the southeast uh, was focused on Savannah, but I think Charleston has also deepened its port uh, in recent yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, Bob says, hey, Greg, talk to IT departments. They appear to be on the continuous improvement prevention team from – that's what Bob said. Let's be clear. Bob Bova said that. Uh He's not wrong. And that's a lot of that has to do with kind of the religion of technology. If you're an SAP shop, you're an SAP shop and you'll never, you know, bring anything else out or Oracle or Microsoft or whatever, whatever your bias is. Right. You want it all from the same carrier and not our same provider. And not all of those providers are good at everything. So we see them starting to build their ecosystems. So they've got other options outside of their technology. Um, but yeah, he's not wrong. There's a lot of comfort and there's a lot of strain, frankly, on IT organizations. Right. And every time they bring in something new, it really complicates their life in terms of support. That, though, is why cloud technology is such a boon for these IT groups, because they don't have anything but integrations, APIs or whatever, however they integrate, that they have to mess with. And now with the intelligence, even in those things, it takes a lot of weight off of IT department's shoulders to be able to 
continually heal those data connections or, you know, find and, and identify where there are flaws and, and help to fix that. Right. Well, my mind went straight to the enormous and growing cybersecurity uh, risk that there is. I can't imagine being mm-hmm. on, uh, an IT team, whether it's a small company or a large international enterprise, uh, just second and triple checking to make sure you're not opening a door for uh, bad actors to come in and harm the operation. So, uh, yeah. goodness gracious, that's, that's a it's got to be a huge uh, burden on the mental state of, of that profession. Okay. Gregory, it is 1257 Eastern time, which is 1157 Central time where you are, right, Greg? It is. So it's lunchtime. Yes, have you yes, eaten lunch yet? I have not, but I sent my youngest daughter who came with me to go to the game. I sent her on a sojourn to, to seek out our lunch spot. She's a vegan, so it's always fascinating to watch her and I eat together. Um, so it's fun i mean it's it's actually fun and and it, it that's another thing that is notable is there are a lot of places who make accommodations for vegan even if they're not you know steakhouses and whatnot that make accommodations for vegan and vegetarian diets so i i think that's a pretty cool thing because we can go a lot more places together i love that uh conscious always on the lookout for ways you can optimize the customer experience that is the name uh, one of the name names of the games here in 2021 folks yeah. what a wonderful hour spent with the one and only greg white it's great to see bob bova pop in christopher joe eric um sylvia mohib all of the folks corinne bursa popping in i know i left a few folks out david and, and peter and you name it Great to have y'all here. I really appreciate all the comments and and uh, yeah. perspective you shared. It makes makes a great interactive uh, and engaging hour. Uh, big thanks again to Amanda, Jada, and Allie behind the scenes helping us make the production happen here today. Big thanks to Greg White, who's on the road following his Kansas City Chiefs, always taking an hour out um, to spend with us on the supply chain buzz. Uh, and you've got lunch. I don't want to interrupt. I don't want to be the last person standing in the way of you and a great lunch with your daughter, <laughs> it's okay. Greg. It's okay. We ate a little bit of a late breakfast, so but I appreciate it. Thank you. We're, <laughs> we're looking forward to it. And then we're heading home. We'll be back in the ATL tonight. So I'd give you exact times, but I want the flooding gates. You know? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, hey, folks, had a wonderful time. As Stacy says, it's 8 p.m. where she is. Uh, so Stacey, I appreciate you tuning in. Thanks to in. those folks really who tune in at eight, 10, 12, one o'clock in the morning, because we have fallen back, but they have not fallen back in East Asia yet. That's right. So it's actually one o'clock in the morning when, when we kick off this thing. So really appreciate that. Well, uh, folks have a great rest of your week, wherever you are. Most importantly, if you take one thing away here today, beyond Greg's wonderful travel, uh, insights and observations, I love that. Do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here at Sapache Now. Thanks, everybody. Do good. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.